first of all, um, I think the right thing to do before we get to uh, her ideology, before we get to uh, the politics of it all, is say, uh, a lot of people won't like me saying this, but I want to be fair. Um, It is historic that this is the first time um, a black woman uh, has been added to a national ticket. Um, It is the third time a woman has been on a ticket. So regardless of what I think about Kamala Harris, which is not a lot, uh, which we're going to get into, um, I do think it's you know a good thing and a historic thing that a woman of color will be represented on a national ticket. Um, I think as a white person, uh, I'd like to acknowledge that. Now, with that out of the way, I, I, I honestly cannot think of a worse choice. I cannot think of a worse choice than Kamala Harris for Joe Biden to choose in a moment of national reckoning with race, in a moment of national reckoning with police brutality, um, in a moment of national reckoning with mass incarceration, in a moment of a national reckoning with um, unprecedented economic violence in addition to the physical violence towards black people. I can't think of a worse choice to excite young black voters. Um, I can't think of a worse choice to depress the vote among Bernie Sanders supporters. Uh, I can't think of a worse choice among Latino voters because they're going to figure out what her record was as California's attorney general and district attorney, a San Francisco district attorney. Um, I really just can't think of a worse choice. Um, On top of it, the politics of it, I can't think of a worse choice because, number one, she was a complete zero uh, in her presidential campaign. I don't think she's a particularly inspiring speaker. Uh, I think she's a decent debater, but the vice presidents get one debate. Um, I don't think she necessarily helps Biden swing Pennsylvania, Ohio, Michigan, Wisconsin. California was not in question. And I think that she will excite the older African-American base that is more traditional and establishment in their voting. But Biden already had that block. What he didn't have locked up were progressives, young African-Americans under the age of 50, younger Latinos. I, I don't see Kamala Harris exciting any of those people. So this is Walker Bragman. Uh, he is an independent journalist, uh, does a lot uh, for a lot of different outlets. Um, so tell me, what are your initial thoughts on uh, Kamala Chosen as the vice presidential pick? Well, I don't think it's particularly surprising for people who have been paying attention to this process. Uh, but I have to say, as as somebody who's done probably more reporting on Kamala Harris in the last year than, than most – um, it's, uh, it's a little shocking <laughs> from, from that, from that side. I mean, Harris is, uh, somebody who was a tough on crime 
uh, district attorney. She assigns senior prosecutors to handle cases of graffiti and vandalism and auto burglary. She went after the parents of truant kids. She boasted about bringing charges against a homeless mother of three uh, and and using that as leverage to connect her with with um, social services. But you have to think that maybe there was a better way to connect this woman with with the services that she needed than uh, the criminal justice system. She had a program that she spearheaded called Back on Track, which is usually referred to uh, positively. But I actually looked into the numbers of that program and found that the, the goal of the program was to limit prison, uh, eliminate prison overcrowding um, by going after recidivism rates, which are reoffense rates. So if people who go to jail don't reoffend, then the prison population will go down. That was the logic. Uh, unfortunately, this program because of that was misguided from the start, didn't reduce prison, the prison population. What it did was threaten first time nonviolent drug sales offenders with hefty prison sentences uh, if they didn't plead guilty and go into this really grueling rehabilitation program um, that most failed out of, according to the numbers that I was able to get. Now, they weren't necessarily complete numbers, but they are the only numbers that we have available. Um, and just given the scope of the program, it was it was never going to do anything about prison overcrowding. But if you're a politician looking to for higher office, it's a great program because it, you know, it, it allows you to say I did something about it. And the graduates of this program have a lower reoffense rate than the non-graduates of the program who happen to be the majority. So sorry, I'm I'm rambling. No, stop no, no. me. So <laughs> someone stop me. I want to reset for a second because we're going to get to Kamala Harris and all her policies. And the reason I wanted to have you on is you took the time to uncover a lot of clips like dating back to 2010 that, frankly, were cringeworthy, um, her speaking. But I want to yes. talk to the audience and just set the bar on how important this pick is, because if the election were held today, I think Biden would win um, based on the polling. Um, I've looked at a lot of the polls. Some are BS, some aren't. But if it were held today, I think he would win. And why that's important is the Democratic Party just set up Kamala Harris to be the next president. Yep. Potentially, I mean... In 2024. No, I'm not even wishing... I'm not mocking Joe Biden here. I'm not wishing him poor health, but there's a good chance. I, I would say a 50-50 that Joe Biden wouldn't finish one term. I'm not talking about uh, death. I'm talking about if for whatever reason he had to resign. I've been talking for a year about what's right in front of our face. He's not that he's not all there. I don't think it's particularly controversial. Jordan. Yes, I don't, think it's controversial. I don't think it's very. So we're not really only talking about who's the vice presidential pick. We're talking about who the Democratic Party, when I say that, I'm talking Obama, who obviously is instrumental behind the scenes, the Wall Street, all of them. They are coronating Kamala Harris. You know, Biden said I'm a bridge. Well, they think the bridge should this go is to the Kamala. future. At a moment of national reckoning, not only uh, on the physical barbarism we see with police, the murders, the executions, the, you know, punching people in the protesters in the face, uh, just the military occupation. Not only that, but just the inherent racism and the elevation of that racism that has been exposed since George Floyd, even before George Floyd. They just chose Cop Mala 
as the vice president. I say that legitimately because nobody other than Tulsi Gabbard that moment on the debate stage, nobody really laid a glove on Kamala Harris on her record. Um, And that's why they went after Tulsi Gabbard so hard. Trump, I mean, I could just see the ads now and they haven't even come out yet. They're going to be playing a lot of the ads you found. Uh, That's that kills me. Yeah. I because look, I'm I'm going to say this, and I I know that some people watching are not going to like it. Some of my audience, some of your audience, won't like it. But Trump has to go. So it's not it's not a matter of for me at least. It's not a matter of like you know s- sitting out the election. It's just like it's this is the this is the next fight. It's like a preview of this is the next fight. So anyway, um, setting that aside, that's just for me. You know, whatever people make their own decisions. But uh, yeah, look, Kamala Harris reminds me a lot of Pete Buttigieg in that she is not she doesn't really seem to have a core ideology. Um, This is something that has that became apparent after watching hours and hours of her um, speeches and 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 interviews from as far back as you said, 2000, 2009 really, uh, or 2008 actually is the first one I found. But this is not somebody with a core ideology. She tends to favor practical, small reforms um, that some of them are, are very good, like streamlining how things uh, work in government. We, that, that, there is a place for that. But right now, I think in this moment, and I think you might agree with this, Jordan, we need very big, sweeping, systemic reform uh, from the top to the bottom and, 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 and that she is not, uh, really, I don't think Kamala Harris is capable in, in, in dealing in those terms. Well, I actually tweeted out, I don't know when, maybe two weeks ago that I thought there was two ways Joe Biden could at this point lose this election. The first one I said was during the debates because there's three debates and Bernie barely laid a glove on him one-on-one. Trump is going to go full-on scorched earth, uh, com- comparing, um, you know, which one is more lucid right now, Trump. Uh, and I think Biden, you know, the American people are very visual. So if people just tuning in for the first time that are not political diehards see Joe Biden stumbling all over the place, he could, he could call it a stutter. We know that's not what we're seeing. Um, that could really damage Biden. The second thing I said was if you pick Kamala Harris. And the reason I think this is so damaging, and this isn't because I'm trying to help Trump or or hurt Biden, this is just what I see. Um, I already see CNN claiming this is a big victory for Biden in terms of young people. That's the exact opposite. (laughs) Well, based on what? This is going to... the, The constituencies that Biden needed to shore up were not older black woman, black women who were going to come out no matter what. There, I don't know of any older black woman that wouldn't come out, honestly, if it were like Gretchen Whitmer. Yeah, they'd be pissed, but they would come out. Um, I don't think he needed older white men to come out. He needed black people under 50, Latinos under 50, white people under 50, which is Bernie's base. He needs... Um, he needs to pick off independence, which I don't think Kamala Harris attracts independence. Um, this is somebody who had to who dropped out of the race because she couldn't she wasn't going anywhere. Somebody who came into the race who dropped out of the race uh, with before, so much excitement. Wait a minute, dropped out of the race before California. 
because she was going to lose her home state. Right. Didn't get any delegates. This is not some this is not a candidate who I mean, look, if this were a sane party interested in unity and and really a direction forward, it would have gone with uh, either the guy who got the second most delegates who does appeal to all of those demographics that you that you talked about or somebody along those lines, somebody in that camp who can credibly speak for that camp, uh, a Rashida Tlaib, a Nina Turner type, somebody who is bold and, you know, I, I don't think uh, AOC would, would want it. And I don't I think a lot of I think that, you know, a lot of people around the country might be a little wary of her jumping into that slot. She's she's very young. But someone like um, Barbara Lee could easily fill that. Uh, but anyway, remember 2012, the Democrats tossed flip flops on Romney. Let's take a little uh, trip down memory lane, because a long time ago in the past, Kamala Harris was supposedly for Medicare for all. Uh, Walker, I haven't mastered the tech where you could hear it, but this is from uh, CNN's town hall right after Kamala Harris uh, announced her campaign. Let's see what she said about what her beliefs were on health care. Access to quality health care at an affordable price. And does that solution involve cutting insurance companies as we know them out of the equation? Um, I believe the solution, and I'm and I'm actually feel very strongly about this, is that we need to have Medicare for all. That's just the bottom line. And, and I don't know if you heard that, but she said very firmly, I believe the solution is we need to have Medicare for all. Then, literally the next day, after Wall Street which we're going to get to her Wall Street ties, too, because her and Biden, two peas in a uh, polluted pond. Uh, Wall Street got in her ear, and then all of a sudden, oh, no, I didn't hear the question. Oh, I didn't hear. Remember in the, during the debate she said I didn't hear like three times and then backtracked? That eventually evolved into what medic. I don't know what it was, some weird contraption that med, it wasn't Medicare for all who want it, Medicare extra, or I don't remember what it was. It was a convoluted plan that wouldn't have manifested until 10 years. She called it Medicare for all, but it really was just kind of a private public partnership. The point is she backtracked because as the New York Times writes, and I'm just quoting directly from the New York Times in an article, what Kamala Harris believes, she writes, quote, I'm not trying to restructure society. I'm just trying to take care of issues that wake up Wake people up in the middle of the night. The New York Times went further and said that set of instincts, her preference for narrow, narrow, tactile proposals over grandly ambitious ones, her facility with procedure and unease with ideology defines her approach to politics, according to her closest aides. So between flip flopping on Medicare for all in less than 24 hours uh, to her saying, I'm not trying to restructure society. By the way, at a time when over 50 million people have filed for unemployment, we're probably about to see a mass, mass increase in homelessness. We're probably going to see a increase in permanent joblessness. And if Trump doesn't get his act together and the Democrats and Republicans continue this BS theater, we might have another depression on our hands. You have someone who the New York Times says has no ideology and has shown you through constant flip-flopping that she has no ideology. 
Jordan, let me let me if I could cite something to you. There's a video of Kamala Harris from 2008. Um, she did this get out the vote like uh, excitement, you know, get voter excitement up series called If I Were President, where they got prominent people to say how the country would be different if they were president for eight years. Keep in mind, this is as the global economy is beginning to collapse. Uh, it started in 2007. It was really, really kicking off. And Harris's answer was like, by the end of my eight years, everyone will call themselves patriots and be wearing an American flag on their lapel. That is literally her answer. Um, oh, and we'll teach and we'll teach history better in schools. Like the most generic bullshit answer you could you, you, anybody could have done. You could find someone on Twitter who would give a better answer to that. Um and that's that's really who she was as a rising star, somebody who a lot of people could project uh, an ideology onto, but somebody who really didn't have an ideology. Again, a Pete Buttigieg type. Um, well, I also think it's important to point out that when she had the power. After the 2008 financial crash, she had the opportunity. The law was completely on her side to prosecute to the fullest extent of the law the man right now that's been in meetings negotiating on behalf of the Trump administration, Steve Mnuchin. He illegally foreclosed on millions and millions of people. By, uh, excuse me, not millions and millions of people, but it, when he was in the private sector in, on Wall Street, his company foreclosed on a lot of people. By the way, a lot of black people. Remember, 2008 financial crash? Black people got disproportionately foreclosed on than white people. Steve Mnuchin, she could have prosecuted him. I mean, The Intercept did a great piece. Uh, it's right here. Kamala Harris fails to explain why she didn't prosecute Steve Mnuchin's bank. I could give you a few reasons why she didn't prosecute Steve Mnuchin's bank. I could also give you a few reasons why the bottom line is her slogan was for the people, but she didn't really have any propo- – she really reminded me. Her campaign reminded me a lot of Hillary Clinton's campaign. There was a lot of incremental proposals that you could put on a website. Um, Personnel overlap. A lot of a lot of technocratic, you know, like technocratic policies. But at the end of the day, there was no bold vision. There was no bold vision because she doesn't truly understand. She says for the people, but her campaign was not out there with the people. She was literally doing in uh, she. It was a race between Biden, Buttigieg and Harris on who could, you know, who could massage more Wall Street donors' feet? I mean, I got this one story here, and I'm not making this up. This is not The Onion. This is from Bloomberg. This is Kamala Harris. Uh, when was this? Last year, I believe. Um, here we go. Subject, Democrats cozy up to Wall Street while shunning corporate cash. Oh, well, Wall Street's not corporate cash, I guess. Um, let's... Let me fast forward to Kamala. In February, Pete Buttigieg stepped into the Manhattan office of Wall Street veteran Charles Myers to talk politics over deli sandwiches. So at least they're down to earth with the deli sandwiches. Citigroup managing director Jan Kuntlem hosted a fundraiser in March for Kamala Harris at his Fifth Avenue apartment where she shook the paw of the banker's labradoodle. So this is who Kamala Harris was partaking with. Now, in fairness to Kamala Harris, she ain't the only one. It was Biden. It was Buttigieg. It was Klobuchar. It was all of them. But the point is, we're facing a Great Depression. You have a madman in the White House that you're trying to defeat. 
and we just so- chose someone who is completely and fairly open to attacks by Republicans for basically oppressing black people, keeping them in jail longer than they should have been. She was against marijuana legalization. Frankly, uh, if you read the New York Times, there's been de- really devastating pieces against her of her knowingly keeping men in jail that were likely innocent, even though judges asked her to mediate those cases, meaning release these people. Um, I just can't think of somebody that goes against the tide now as much as Kamala Harris. And before I give you the answer, before I get you to respond, I want to play one of the clips you found, which to me is just really beyond the pale of somebody getting enjoyment out of this. Here's Kamala Harris talking about why she was proud to go after single mothers for truancy. I would not be standing here were it not for the education I received. And I know many of us will say the same thing. And I believe a child going without an education is tantamount to a crime. So I decided I was going to start prosecuting parents for truancy. Well, this was a little controversial in San Francisco. (laughs) And frankly, my staff went bananas. They were very concerned because we didn't know at the time whether I was going to have an opponent in my re-election race. But I said, look, I'm done. This is a serious issue, and I've got a little political capital, and I'm going to spend some of it. And this is what we did. We recognized that in that initiative, as a prosecutor in law enforcement, I have a huge stick. The school district has got a carrot. Let's work in tandem around our collective objective and goal, which is to get those kids in school. So to that end, On my letterhead, now let me tell you something about my letterhead. When you're the DA of a major city in this country, usually the job comes with a badge. And there is often an artistic rendering of said badge on your stationery. So I sent a letter out on my letterhead to every parent in the school district, outlining the connection that was statistically proven between elementary school truancy, high school dropouts, who will become a victim of crime, and who will become a perpetrator of crime. We sent it out to everyone. A friend of mine actually called me and he said, Kamala, my wife got the letter. She freaked out. She brought all the kids into the living room, held up the letter, said, if you don't go to school, Kamala's going to put you and me in jail. (laughs) Yes, we achieved intended effect. Walker, I give you the floor. So... This was this was a major push um, from Kamala Harris. One of her one of her biggest, um, I guess, issues that she took on uh, as DA and then later um, as as AG is uh, truancy. And actually, during her run for the United States Senate, she was still pushing uh, pushing this like this. Uh, you know, we got to go after truancy. We got we got to you know. Because if we stop kids from missing school, we're going to have less crime and less criminals and less dead kids. And it's there is a certain logic to it. Um, I tend to think that I think that this is another example of Kamala Harris looking at a systemic problem that we face um, over criminalization and uh, young people dying from acts of violence or violent crime and thinking and, and and sort of taking aim at that and then misfiring, like if you want to if you want to reduce 
overcrowding in prisons and you want to reduce crime generally, then people need economic opportunity. And they, we need to stop criminalizing things like marijuana or, or selling a little bit of, of uh, you know, some some whatever drug you, you want to, you know, put there. Insert drug name here. Um, overcriminalization is really a driving force behind prison overcrowding and criminality in this country. And it's not something that Kamala Harris ever went after. In fact, she laughed when someone when her opponent was uh, came out in favor of legalizing marijuana. She chuckled at the suggestion. Um, and in another clip that I that I sent you, I'm not sure if, if um, you've played it, but she says you committed a crime and I don't feel sorry for you. This is about bringing charges against first time nonviolent drug sales offenders like you've committed the crime and I'm not going to forgive you for committing the crime. That attitude is bullshit. That attitude from law enforcement is why we have so many young people locked up and getting criminal records when they're young and then getting put, getting uh, indoctrinated into the system and getting and, and continue and, and, it, and have their their lives essentially ruined by something they did when they were very young. That's where that's where it started. If you want to get if you want people to not live lives that are plagued by criminality and poverty, then you can't criminalize them when they're young. Biden could say whatever he wants now, but fundamentally, Biden is the same guy who was railing on the senator on the Senate floor in the 90s about predators. He might have not said super predators, but he wrote the crime bill. He bragged about the crime bill in 2016. When asked by CNBC, do you regret it? He said, absolutely not. To this day, currently, he denies that the crime bill ushered in mass incarceration. I've interviewed a lot of people that would quite strongly disagree. Brothers and sisters of theirs are sitting in jail because of Joe Biden and Bill Clinton. So you have that man. One of the things you would hope out of a vice president for a president like Biden is somebody who might be able to show him a different view. Somebody who might, you know, be able, maybe they're simpatico on most issues, but might push him for, further away from over policing, uh, over criminalizing. You know, Biden is saying all the right things that basically we need to tear down every bill that I put forward. I mean, he said we, we basically need to undo the bankruptcy bill that he did. He said we basically have to undo the crime bill, which he did. But you basically have somebody in Kamala Harris who basically agrees with all those things. I mean, we just saw it in that clip. So the K-Hive can come after me or you and woke oh they're already all over me yeah the woke woke, <laughs> woke nation can come after me but but fuck them but fundamentally walker i hate to say it but there will be another black man strangled by a cop in front of our eyes we're going to see that happen again there will oh, be jordan of course we are you know what else we're gonna see we're gonna see runaway climate change because because joe biden doesn't have an adequate climate plan no matter how many task forces he forms the man is still in the pocket of, of corporate interests to at least to the extent that bold the the type of systemic action that we need is not going to be done that said it's it, it may still be uh you know, it's obviously not inspiring. It's not something that people on the left uh, fought for. And it's frankly not something that people on the left deserve because they, you you represent more of the party than than you are being represented by. 
you represent a larger share of the base than you do people who are elected. Uh, that is something that every leftist needs to hear. There are more people like you than there, than, you know. Anyway, so it's up to you to get out there and and stay active and keep keep pushing these people out. Kamala Harris being the vice president now opens up a Senate seat, and that's more impactful than having um, than the vice presidency. I mean, look, Harris and Biden are two people. The exec and and the executive branch is powerful. But it's super important to fill the the Congress and the Senate with lefties. And now there's an open Senate seat in California. Walker, I got to stop you. I think you're putting the cart before the horse because I think there's political ramifications here. Uh, I'll I'll show you this poll, Walker, uh, from today. I don't know if you'll be able to see it, but it's a Monmouth University poll. It's clearly show Biden would most likely win if it were held today. But you got three debates. And a lot of a lot could happen in three months. My point is putting aside whether, you know, there's different people who think different things. There's a lot of people in my audience who are going to vote for Biden. There's a lot of people who aren't. I don't tell people how to vote. I I understand both. I understand people that are going to hold their nose and vote for him. And I understand people who say to hell with it. I can't keep doing this lesser of two evils. What you know, I'm not doing it. But what I am saying is I do think this has the potential of, of hurting Biden. Uh, I do think this has the potential of um, being a net zero or um, a net negative for Biden. I, I, I have to, I want to push back on that just a little bit because we will probably have 200,000 people who have died from COVID by the time the election rolls around. And that's, that is something that did not exist in 2016. Like this, this might hurt him. Uh, in terms of people on the left, it definitely will dampen uh, what little excitement there was for him among progressives, no doubt. Um, but in terms of just uh, in terms of winning the election, there's a lot of negative partisanship out there. People want to vote against Donald Trump, especially as the economy crumbles, as um, as people die, as their loved ones die. I mean, it, the numbers on COVID are just staggering. Um, so I, I think, and to, to a certain degree, to a certain extent, uh, people on the left, I think, feel good about this idea that may, that we can be the deciders, that we can be the ones who, who swing the election. I don't really think it's going to be lefties who swing the election. It's going to be working class voters in the Rust Belt. You know, pe- the same people who always swing elections will swing these this election. Uh, and I think that it's likely that Biden will win. It's possible that he won't. He's a terrible candidate and he picked a terrible VP candidate. It's possible. But I think the more important point is is just that anytime you have an election where the other side is somebody like Trump, uh, somebody who is such a colossal failure, um, you're gambling. And you, you gamble when you do something like this that could drive down excitement for you. And why would you take that risk? I I can't think of any good justification for it. It just seems like the establishment wants to ensure that it has a future. Um, I don't know if it will. I think that the direction the country is going uh, is, is quickly uh, – the water is quickly rising around that old establishment. But but who knows? This, this move um, – yeah, that's, that's, that's where I'm at with this. At least that's what I'm telling myself so that I don't uh, 
screaming in, in, in futilely into the air. Here is why. Here is why. And again, this isn't because I want Trump to win. This is just my my clear political analysis. Having been on the road for two campaigns now, and having known the numbers uh, in 2016, uh, contrary to uh, popular mass propaganda. Uh, Hillary Clinton didn't lose because of Vladimir Putin. She also didn't lose because of James Comey. I've been saying this for four years because apparently nobody looks at data or exit polls. Hillary Clinton lost because in 2016 she got 5% less African-Americans than Obama got in 2012. She got 5% less Latinos than Obama got in 2012. She got 6% 6 less 18 to 29 than Obama got in 2012. Devil's advocate. One could say, well, of course she was going to get less black people than the first black president. But 5% drop is a significant drop. So we have those. That is why she lost. It wasn't Jill Stein. It wasn't Gary Johnson. It was depressed turnout among those three groups. So I look at, Kam I look at Kamala Harris. You need someone, frankly, that could excite the base because the actual nominee is not doing that. I mean, the polls have shown I think Biden, like 26 to 30 percent of Biden supporters said they strongly are strongly enthusiastic. We have learned. Yeah, it's not. They're, they're bleak. The numbers yeah. are bleak. We have they, learned. This could this could be a repeat of 2016. We have learned. I'm from, not ruling We that have out. learned from 2016. We have learned from 2016. You can't vote. You can't win just running against someone. You have to you have to inspire people to vote for something to your point about. But it's different. We're, we're going on 200,000 people dead. Um, and this is the worst public health disaster. Uh, I, I can't remember anything worse. So it's going, you know, it doesn't, you could run Biden as a corpse with Lucifer as his vice president and that will win. Yes and no, because really at the end of the day, we're look the, the very people that are being screwed the most by this pandemic. I mean, obviously the people being screwed the most are losing their lives and their families. So the, the, the people that are living being screwed. I understood what you meant. Right. I'm just being clear. <laughs> the very people that are being screwed the most are basically those three categories I just named. That is the reason Hillary Clinton lost. The young, black people, and Latinos. Both in health outcomes, black people and Latinos are being disproportionately harmed, and young people on economics. So I look at this and I say, all right. She's strong because she'll have a really strong debate against Pence. She is a good debater. I give you that. She's an okay public speaker. I don't find her that inspiring, but she won't kill him like on the stump. She could, she could construct full sentences, so points for that. Um, but Michigan, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, is she going to be the difference between that depressed turnout among younger black voters, younger Latinos, and younger uh, white people – Obviously, a lot could change. I don't see it because the, 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 the actual nominee is so weak. And I also think, you know, he's a terrible person. He's a terrible um, president. Donald Trump is a brilliant politician. He's a snake oil salesman through and through. And I wouldn't put it past him uh, to start in desperation doing some le outlefting Biden. I know it hasn't come yet, but I, wouldn't, I would not put it past him to throw out some strong crumbs, whether it's direct UBI, some form of Medicare. So I think right now, by picking Kamala Harris, you are pissing off the Black Lives Matter movement. Who are the, I've, I've covered these protests. They do not like Kamala Harris. 
Uh, you're pissing right. off. I don't actually know if I've ever met somebody in real life who likes Kamala Harris. I as have. A it's, it's quite the conversation. <laughs> <laughs> it's, but it's, you know, like, I think I think all of those things that you just said are are true. Um, I, I don't really see Kamala Harris as a as a strength in, in the Rust Belt. I don't I, you know, it's not I don't think that she is is going to turn voters out there. But what I what I will say is that she might not, you know, f- it up as uh, she might just be sort of a neutral pick for a lot of those voters, not necessarily in, in opposition. But I, I don't know. Look, whatever happens, happens this this. I thought that this election cycle, we would see um, Democrats sort of realize, OK, yeah, that 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 centrist thing didn't really work out and that we're stuck with Biden. So, you know, what what do I know? But. Uh, in terms of in terms of Harris, I I just think that we as a country should reward politicians who are ideologically good <laughs> on 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 the on the right track ideologically and who have records that that back it up and who stand out on issues when it's not popular when it's not easy who do the right thing and get um, flack for it. And that's never been Kamala Harris. Um, that was Bernie Sanders, but as we saw, that that loses. 